Liz Collin here. Thank you for joining us and welcome to Liz Collin Reports, a place for truth and meaningful Minnesota conversations. On the podcast today, we are taking you to the state capitol, at least with this conversation, as the 2022 session winds down, or at least should be winding down according to the calendar. May 23rd is the adjournment date. House Minority Leader Kurt Doubt is my guest today. But before we bring him in, I want you to listen to what he had to say as Democrats recently brought their public safety bill to the floor. Minneapolis Crime Watch on Twitter within the last couple of hours. A white truck pulling a dumpster down Minnehaha Avenue near 35th Street that is actively on fire. That happened while we were debating this bill. Minneapolis has had its 31st homicide while we have debated this bill. And you are about to pass a public safety bill which is not going to keep anyone safe. I didn't hear a Democrat defending a victim or the family member of a victim. Your cities are burning and you are watching. All I can think about is this bill is just like that burning dumpster getting towed down the street in Minneapolis tonight. Not a penny for law enforcement. Reducing sentences for criminals and allowances to let violent criminals out of jail to reoffend. Those are the priorities of Democrats in the state of Minnesota. Representative Doubt, thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. I know you're on the phone. You're on the go today. But I do want to start with that public safety bill. You made it quite clear your feelings about the plan on the other side of the aisle. And this was during a stretch of three homicides in 24 hours in Minneapolis, as you're kind of talking about this crime spree in real time, very passionately, I might add. And lawmakers debated this for seven hours um, on that day on April 29th. But just quantify for our listeners how big of an issue public safety is right now in St. Paul this session. Well, we think it's it's the biggest issue that that voters are going to care about in the election. Um, everybody's talking about it. You know, obviously on the news every day, people are hearing the, the increased crime rates. And, and uh, uh, you know, we think it, it's the, it's also the thing that that tugs at the heartstrings. Right. It's it, safety is a is a fear thing that people aren't going to you know, they're going to change their 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 habits and their their travel if they don't feel safe in, in a place. And um so it's a it's a it's a deeply emotional thing that that, um, you know, people want that need to feel safe. And, and uh, I think Democrats plan has been a failure in that in that uh, to that end. And, and I think you're seeing that in the results of, of the rising crime rates across the Twin Cities. Where do things stand at this point at the Capitol when it comes to the public safety bill? Will we be any safer after this year's legislative session? Well, I think that, uh, you know, I would I would hope that we could. Um, some of the problems that we have really are Democrats are wanting to invest in things that that are not law enforcement related. They want alternatives to law enforcement, which were are unproven, untested, uh, frankly, and and uh, without they you know, they lack oversight and, and structure. And, um, you know, we've seen some big problems with those uh, sorts of approaches in other places. Uh, you've got, you know, places like the city of Chicago that have pulled out of some of those um, alternate plans. And, and what we really need, you know, the biggest problem in the city of Minneapolis is that we're down, uh, you know, 300 plus police officers. And the reality is that that could take 
you know, a decade to, to refill those positions and get back to where they should be. Um, so what we think and what we want to do is make sure that we're investing in uh, programs that will incentivize folks to go into the law enforcement field um, to attract more people, uh, more candidates and, and, and more folks uh, that can ultimately become police officers in these cities. On that note, during your testimony, you peeled back the onion a bit in the Democrats plan, what they're proposing to provide funding for. And I want our listeners to hear that. Ensuring that victims and family members of homicides and non-fatal shootings have access to resources. Convenient mental health treatment and grief counseling. Worthy. Worthy. Assistance for funerals and burial expenses. Emergency assistance for relocation expenses. Emergency shelter. Emergency transportation, lost wage assistance. Do you know what those victims' family members would rather have? Their family member, the one who was killed. That's what they would rather have. And I think they'd like some of the money in this bill to actually prevent that crime. So you made the point there at the end, but hey, let's spend spend money to actually prevent this. What seems to be the disconnect in your mind? Well, I think you know Democrats are are in a in a tough spot because they're uh, a lot of their base uh, who has a lot of power right now in their party, and and you know as we're going through the endorsement process and the primary process, those people have an outsized voice, um, and and they can't be uh, seen as investing in, in law enforcement. So uh, it's just a, a, you know, that's a disconnect with where most Minnesotans are at. So, uh, you know, we very strongly believe that um, the real problem here is that we've just got a lack of law enforcement. I think the city of Minneapolis has said they're not responding or they're not doing anything proactive. They're only responding to calls that they get. So there's just a lack of presence out there on the streets. And um, of course, that is a, a magnet for illegal activity and for crime. And, and we're seeing the results of that. And going to the GOP side, where does the wish list stand at this point? There's been a flurry of proposals, but let's say top two or three in your mind, what would make an immediate difference here? Well, I think what we would want to see is uh, probably increased funding, uh, both for law enforcement and for attracting folks into or incentivizing folks into the law enforcement field. Um, On top of that, I think we would want to raise some of the penalties for criminal activity that's becoming the problem right now. One example of that might be the the carjacking problem, uh, kind of raising the penalties for that to dissuade people from, uh, you know, participating in that sort of behavior. Um, And unfortunately, we've got a situation where judges and, you know, judges judges are downward departing, I think, on, you know, more than 50% of the cases that are, uh, you know, felony, felony level, uh, uh, you know, crimes. And, and, uh, so the, the message to criminals is, you, you know, there's not going to be people to catch you or there's going to be less people. And, and two, uh, if you do get caught, we're going to let you out right away, you know, catch and release or we're going to, you know, downward depart. So you don't get as severe a, a penalty as you should, frankly. So I think we would we would want a, a law and order uh, message, uh, which is more money for law enforcement and stronger penalties if, if you do break the law. I want to bring up another issue kind of breaking right now in the news. Um, this uh 
kind of deep dive that Alpha News did into this proposed uh, Justin Tigan law. It sounds like something you've been been briefed about, but this is a, a well-known activist, Toshira Garraway, who has been telling this story at the Capitol and in many other uh, forums as well about her fiance being brutally murdered, as she says, uh, by the St. Paul Police Department 12 years ago. So we took a look at that entire case, talked to people um, who were connected at the time. Uh, that basically shows what she's saying is not true. And there is this proposed law that has made its way to St. Paul based on a lie. But I'm curious, you know, your reaction to that. And again, this law is is sort of tied up with the public safety bill at this point. Well, I think, you know, our concern and I had been uh, kind of briefed on this over time as it was kind of unfolding. So I've, I've known about it for some time. I think the first I became aware of it was probably last, uh, maybe last late last summer, or last fall. Um, so I've been watching it a little bit. Uh, but uh, the reality is, I think, you know, Democrats uh, and, you know, you had somebody come into to, to state uh, to hearings in the state legislature and, and basically lie. And Democrats, the real problem is Democrats wanted to believe that that was true instead of check it and, and say, eh, that sounds a little, you know, uh, fantasized and, and blown out of proportion. Is this really true? Um, they wanted to believe that it was true. And, and so for me, my biggest concern is that, you know, when we, uh, perpetuate this sort of misinformation or lies, what we're doing is we're actually uh, creating a, a, a situation where there's distrust between law enforcement and members of the community. And, and ultimately what that does is it puts both parties at risk. So if there's a, a an altercation or a, an interaction between law enforcement and a member of the community, um, if the community automatically distrusts law enforcement and, and they do that because uh, Democrat legislators are perpetuating that sort of a message um, that basically uh, puts uh, in that in that interaction, it, it creates a, a situation where you've got an adversarial relationship and a potential for that. To, and that's what we've seen. And, and obviously, some of the bigger cases in recent years, um, that's what we've seen is where these get out of control. And um, ultimately, uh, there's there's been, you know, in worst case scenarios, there's a loss of life. So, um it, it, and, and I think Democrats need to own the fact that they are perpetuating that sort of distrust, which actually endangers not only the law enforcement officers' lives, but uh, the community's lives as well. Good points. Thank you for, for covering that. Um, I did also reach out to Crime Watch. Crime Watch is someone you quoted, I noticed, uh, on the yes. House floor. Uh, but, you know, the, the very popular citizen Twitter reporter. Uh, but they were wondering about these nonprofit community groups and something you've brought up before. Uh sort of the lack of accountability or, or detailed measures of success for these nonprofit um, groups. So Crime Watch is saying in, in from what they've seen, they get more money. The theory is that taxpayers keep shoveling them money. They fund new cars, their friends, relatives, no incentives to really help fix the problems. They keep getting funded as as crime goes up. Do you think anything will change um, this session on that when it comes to that accountability piece. Crime Watch is wondering, and I thought that was a, a good question to, to, to well, throw I, away. That, yeah, I, I think that is a problem, and, and we've talked about that. I mean, you, you know, you think of how much um, oversight and accountability there is on law enforcement officers, 
Um, and, and now they want these uh, community groups to step in and do the job of law enforcement officers. They want to give them state taxpayer dollars without any real accountability or without any real uh, transparency on where that money's going or what it's being used for. Um, and, and then we're not providing them the training and we don't have the, the sort of oversight to hold them accountable um, if there is a problem. And, and there are very big, I, I spoke about it in that speech on the House floor, there's some very big um, uh, examples of uh, where where there have been you know lawsuits and and that sort of thing and uh, there isn't a, a a group that automatically can can hold them accountable um, not even like a city council uh, can as they can a, a police department for instance you can't go in and fire one employee you can cut their contract but um, you can't go in and fire one employee or or hold them accountable um, in a way that you would normally be able to and and we just don't see the level of transparency um, that you would uh, with a government entity that's providing that that law enforcement support. I also wanted to talk about fentanyl. You talked about trying to increase the penalties for fentanyl that's killing Minnesotans. We did some recent reporting up in Duluth about this issue, their commitment to trying to hold dealers accountable. But do you see that criminal threshold changing this session? Well, here's a great example of Democrats wanting to lower sentences and lower penalties for criminals and and always wanting to believe criminals and, and being sympathetic to criminals instead of actually listening to and being sim- sympathetic to and preventing people from becoming victims. Um, so fentanyl is a great example. Uh, the, the, the penalties for that are lower than other uh, drugs in, of the of the past, right, that we've commonly been aware of, like heroin and, and cocaine. Um, yet, Fentanyl is 50 times more lethal than, uh, you know, and, and sometimes in cases many, many more times than that, but, but at least 50 times more lethal than heroin um, and more, more potent and more powerful. Um, so it, it's a it's a drug that, you know, I think we just reached a threshold in the country where we're uh, surpass, surpassed, um, you know, the highest level of deaths. Uh, in a year uh, based on drug overdoses. And, and that's because of fentanyl. Um, we've got members of our caucus uh, who have lost, uh, and members of the legislature have lost uh, kids to this. And I think it's it's impacting every one of our lives, but but we're not gonna stop it by letting people go and by you know reducing sentences and not holding people accountable. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the Democrats find themselves caught in this position where they where they can't really hold any criminals accountable because it's not in vogue with their their uh, kind of progressive base. And lastly, uh, as I know you have to get going here, but I wanted to ask you about the uh, budget surplus, the $9 billion budget surplus. A lot of Minnesotans watching that as inflation, of course, is climbing, holding out for for tax relief. But where does that stand at this point? How do you think that will all uh, go down here in the final days? Well, I think, you know, as we've got just a little less than two weeks left of the session, um, you know, we, we actually are a little less than the $9 billion now because we had that, well, we had a surplus in the general fund. We had a deficit in that uh, unemployment trust fund. So we took care of that unemployment trust fund. And maybe there's been some little odds and ends spending in addition to that, but we're down to a little over $7 billion right now. But just got news this week that uh, we picked up another billion in surplus revenue just last month. So um, that's going to probably continue to grow until we do some permanent tax relief. Uh, the outlook on it, whether that'll happen this session or not, um, I think really, uh, Demo- I would expect that Democrats are going to want to trade. If they do any permanent tax relief, they're going to want to trade permanent spending for it. And uh, the reality is, uh, you know, we already have a fully funded state budget that we passed last year. I don't see the need uh, to go in and, and broadly uh, increase state spending. I mean, go ahead and look at the, the the House Democrats targets. Um, they want to increase spending $21 uh, 
for every dollar of, of permanent tax relief. Um, and when we've got a $9 billion surplus that tells us we're collecting more money than we need from uh, taxpayers to, to fund state government, um, the answer is really we have to reduce those taxes. And the reality is, um, in our competitiveness with our neighboring states and other places across the country, uh, we have to become more competitive or we're going to continue to drive businesses and, and retirees, for example, uh, to, to other states. So, um, and that's only going to make the problem worse. So um, I think we have to do the tax relief, but I, I fear that, uh, uh, you know, trading permanent spending for it is, is going to be uh, uh, something that, that we shouldn't, you know, we, we really should not do that. Um, and, you know, I think this next election is going to, uh, you know, correct some things in who's in the majority, <laughs> you know, from my perspective in the, in the house. So um, I would almost rather uh, sit on that surplus until next year when we can do the real permanent tax relief that, that, that Minnesotans need um, without having to trade it for permanent increases in spending that we don't really need right now. And you're talking about some important elections uh, coming up, but yeah, what is your final thoughts to Minnesotans as we look ahead to a busy fall uh, and also the uh, convention coming up uh, this weekend in Rochester. Well, you know, obviously a lot of stuff going on, but this is a big election year and uh, you know, it appears that there's a wave building offshore and uh, obviously that looks like it's moving in the direction of Republicans pretty, uh, pretty strongly. Uh, folks are not happy with what's going on in Washington, DC. They're not happy with the record inflation. They're not happy with the crime and the rising crime rates and they don't feel safe in their communities. So um, add that all together and, and it spells a, a potential disastrous uh, election for Democrats. So um, while we will uh, likely benefit from that, we also need to be ready to lead this state in a way that is going to make us more competitive and uh, make sure that Minnesotans feel more safe and that parents have a voice in their kids' education. And I could go on and on and on, right? But, uh, you know, we're ready to do that. And, and I think uh, the folks uh, are looking for uh, other people to, to run our state because what's been going on right now with Democrats in charge has, has not been good for the state of Minnesota. Republican House Minority Leader Kurt Doubt. Kurt, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And that will do it for this episode of Liz Collin Reports. We'll be back soon to keep meaningful Minnesota conversations going. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, or any other podcast platform. To stay up to date on all things Alpha News, sign up for our free daily newsletter on our website and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.